Hello, I am Katrina Collier, and as part of my mission to inspire all the people that recruit people to treat people better, I bring you the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited podcast. Here, you will hear from those hiring leaders who create true partnerships with recruiters, HR, and talent acquisition because they know that it delivers a better result for the business and a better human experience. May this podcast inspire other hiring leaders to create better partnerships with their recruiters and HR. And may it inspire recruiters to create true and valuable partnerships with their hiring leaders because people make businesses succeed and people matter. So let us begin. Joshua Hoffman, welcome to the Hiring Partner Perspective, fabulously supported by the people at WorkDrive. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, um, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Oh, it's super cool. Um, you describe yourself as a tech leader, public speaker, and old hardware enthusiast, which did make me giggle. By that, do you mean like 70s telephones or does old hardware mean something else? Uh, sure. <laughs> 70s technology, um, 80s computers, you name it. Uh, if it's old and can be tinkered with, then uh, I'm probably messing around with it on the weekends. Oh, love it. I still miss the old dial-up phone, you know, when you recorded into the wall and that, that feeling of terror when you dialed the wrong last digit incorrectly and had to start again. Crazy, crazy. So for the last five years or so, you've been helping startups to build and scale their tech teams and production. What do you love about the startup scene so much? Like what keeps you working in that industry? Yeah, great question. You know, I think it's a combination <laughs> of the the energy uh, that you really find in a startup that, uh, especially if it's mission-based, where there's just a lot of passion to accomplish something, um, you get to work with a large group of, or perhaps a small group, but of really young up-and-coming people. And one of the greatest pleasures I've had in my career is to be able to work with someone, coach and mentor them and see them, you know, really grow into uh, an amazing career. I really like that. And I also find that in startups, it's often the opportunity that you can have a role where you have a lot of impact. So I really like that. If I'm comparing to you know, a 20,000 person corporation, if I'm very lucky, I might have a role with a high impact. But at a 50 person startup, it's, it's much more likely. And I can get to know everyone. Um, I, and then the culture, of course. You know, startups tend to have a lot of fun as well. So I'll put all that together and uh, it's been a great journey for me. Certainly far less red tape. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. If you want to get something done, generally, you just have to talk to the right person uh, or just make a decision as yeah. well. Yeah. I'm doing something tomorrow that's for India and this company is global and they had offices in Austin. So the snow stopped them sending an email out because the marketing department in India isn't trusted to do it. And you're just going, no, nah, I couldn't do that space. I'm with you. So was it by design that you ended up in the startup world or did you just sort of fall into it like most of us do into recruitment? <laughs> Yeah, I think it was definitely uh, that I fell into it. You know, I got my first corporate IT job working at a plastics factory, just fixing printers, things like that. Uh, but I quickly learned that if you work for a manufacturing corporation in the tech department, then you're just a cost center, and it's not really all that exciting. I mean, it's fulfilling work, but uh, then I looked at friends of mine that were working at startups. And I had made a choice to go after working at Red Hat because that company really appealed to me. I'm happy to say I joined them when they were about 500 people. So not really a startup, but maybe more in the uh, scale-up phase. Yeah. And then from there, the real opportunity that landed in my lap uh, nine years later was a friend of mine was working at Tumblr in 2011 when yeah. they were just starting to explode in popularity. Uh, and he reached out to me and said, hey, what do you think about uh, joining the team here? And after you know, a few discussions, it just made a lot of sense to all of us. And I jumped right in. And that was it. You had the bug. That was it. 
Tumblr is still around, aren't they? Which people are it's less less known. Uh, amazingly, it is still around, and it's passed yeah. hands a few times uh, with owners. So um, it's now owned by the same company that owns WordPress, I believe. Well, I could be mistaken ah. on that. Um, but the the thing that's cool about Tumblr is it, it had a resurgence in popularity among younger people when Facebook started to get saturated with all of the older people. Mm. And so, <laughs> the, you know, oh, my parents are on there. I don't want to be on Facebook. But uh, they don't know about Tumblr at all. So it, it has this... Uh, really hardcore crowd. So the usership, mm-hmm. the traffic's not huge, but at the same time, those that do use it, use it a lot, many hours during the day, very uh, high engagement. Maybe I should go back to mine. I quite love mine. It's just a bit dead. <laughs> a bit like my WordPress blog. Yeah, I'm, af- <laughs> I'm afraid I'm guilty of the same. I don't know, just the time gets away. That's why I love doing these. It's just so much more fun and yeah, I'm enjoying it. So I noticed in your last role that you implemented an integrity-based recruiting process. I get that completely intrigued me, particularly the word integrity. So can you tell me more about what led you to do this? What did that involve? How does that differ from regular recruiting? <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, in my my impression, at least especially within startups, you find that recruiting is often uh, an afterthought. And I don't mean the actual uh, effort of the recruiters, but really more of the interview and screening process. And this for me is where I see generally a lack of integrity. It's not that people don't mean well but they tend to not prioritize or put an effort in. So when I say an integrity-based process, what that means to me is a few things. It means that any candidate, if they came this week or in three weeks, would have substantially the same experience. And any different candidate should also have substantially the same experience. So that means that I need to invest in training the engineers and other employees that are going to participate in this screening. Because if you know what most companies do is they just you know pick three, hey, go interview this candidate, tell me what you think. Uh, and that's fine, but I think that that is very prone to being different every time. And it's also really influenced by the bias and the opinions and personality of the particular interviewer that you chose. Uh, so for me, an integrity-based process means that I'm going to actually discuss the recruiting strategy with the team because we want to understand what it is we're looking for that we all agree upon. And we're actually going to go even further and we're going to identify key questions that we want quality answers for and we're going to go further than that, and we're even going to define what does a quality answer mean, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't, like yeah. And so when someone sits down to conduct one of these interviews, they've got a form in front of them that is reminding them of the questions, the space to fill in the quality answers, and giving them the the requirement that they get three quality answers for these three questions, and we split the questions up among different people. Um, but this way, with integrity, we're ensuring that all candidates are asked the same set of questions. Their answers are held to the same standard uh, and they're evaluated in substantially the same way. Can you give me an example of what you mean by a quality answer? I know I'm putting on the spot a little bit, but... Yeah, fair enough. So if I ask you a question like, um, you know, uh, what was your most proud accomplishment at your last job? Mm -hmm. Like there are a lot of ways you could answer that question. And for me, the quality answer, and this is something we would define up front, but Mm -hmm. the quality answer is going to be reflective of your work specifically. So mm-hmm. that's really important. So I want to understand, you know, what were your contributions? And this, yeah. f- for me, often means I'm looking for sentences that start with I, not we. Interesting. And that I've, you know, documented thoroughly your answer uh, and I can, you know, account it back to you and, and you recognize it. Yeah. Um, but that's, you would be surprised how many times you have to sort of press someone to get that, that I statement rather than, oh, I was on a team and we did this and we put a rover on Mars and we've all, you know, okay, well, please, I want to know your specific part of this. Let me hear what you did <laughs> and, and how you, you know, 
Yeah, uh, did so you just pump the tires up for the rover or did you actually get involved in the real high-tech stuff? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're all important jobs, but you know, the yeah. quality answer will give us a really good picture of, of what your part was. You can so tell I'm not in tech by the fact I just said, does someone pump the tires up? There's no idea. Are they pumped up tires? I would imagine. <laughs> well, somebody needs to. <laughs> I have seen the footage. It is mind-blowing. It really, uh, just incredible. Really is. See. Yeah, I just, uh, I wouldn't want to be there though. Looks quite scary. <laughs> so, did you did you make lots of mistakes to end up doing this? And actually, I want to go back to the I thing as well, because surely you've sat in interviews and thought, "I have to say we," because I think job seekers are a bit unsure. Because a lot of career coaches and recruiters say, "Oh, say we" statements show you're part of a team. I mean, I think you can show that you work well as part of a team while still identifying your individual contribution. Um, I've never personally been coached about saying we rather than I. I do think oh. there's a cultural element to it as well. Um, but you know, to your question, have I made a lot of mistakes? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, you, you know, if you do anything long enough, you'll make plenty of mistakes. You know, one of the biggest mistakes that I made, you know, in hiring was I had an urgent role to fill. Uh, mm-hmm. I had a clear understanding of what I wanted for qualifications, and I had yeah. a lot of difficulty finding any candidate that was qualified. So the first one that really said the right things, you know, we decided to jump on, and we thought, well, you know, the probation period will help us figure out if it's the right thing. Um, but unfortunately, although the candidate had all the right skills, they also had some very strange ideas about how to approach things that didn't mesh well with our environment. It just wasn't mm. a good fit. Uh, and so, you know, that that really impressed upon me how even if we're rushed or we're, we have a lot of urgency, we still need to have a thorough uh, process. Yeah, that makes sense. So how did you change going forward then to to, to not have that scenario again? Or you just... Was was your gut telling you it wasn't right and you were ignoring it or was it? You know, I, I think I may have had a slight nagging doubt, but <laughs> at the same time, you know, for me, the big change was I, I like to, uh, when, it, when performance is really important, uh, and this works in tech and non-technical roles, mm. but I'm a big fan of trying to organize workshops that are as reflective of the work environment as possible. Right. And so in certain roles, that's going to mean some hands-on tasks. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, there's always this debate in tech of you know, what should you test people at the whiteboard? How much should you allow them to Google or not Google? Or how much time? Or is it realistic? Or you know, whatever. Uh, and for me, the the answer to that is I sit down with my team and I say, okay, you know, it's true that all of us could take a task we don't know how to solve, do some research, do some searching, figure it out, and devise a solution. Mm-hmm. But hopefully, we can also agree that there's a baseline set of skills that we should all be able to walk in and do cold, right? So, mm-hmm. for example, if you're hiring a bookkeeper. You would expect that they could do some double entry accounting and demonstrate that they understand that without needing to look up something. And that would be, yep. in my opinion, a very fair evaluation. So yep. uh, in certain technical roles, same thing. We're going to have a baseline of skills and we're just going to give a test to see in a, in a hands-on realistic scenario, can they perform? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't do that in this case. And I think had I, it would have been a lot more revealing about not just the mm-hmm. work that would be delivered, but also how it would be approached. Yeah. So you guys Google answers. That's shocking. I thought you guys just knew it all. Yeah, I wish. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've heard that about um, anyone in tech, you know, and also that you're very incredibly collaborative as well. So I know that there's a lot of companies out there um, who put technical people through really long tests. Like they could be an entire day, they could take two days, they could take four days, and then they don't give them feedback. Yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, And it's something that I personally struggle with because... Uh, ideally, I want to give everyone really quality feedback. And in, in fact, the, you know, my goal when I have a candidate comes through and I do not hire them, my goal mm-hmm. is that they come away feeling great about the process and still recommend other people work for us. 
right? And yeah. so this, I, I don't know what the right answer is on feedback because it's, you know, I've seen it blow up where mm. you try to give really concrete feedback and you just get into an argument and they don't agree with it and, it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's just very difficult. Um, you know, so I've been at companies where we just decide the only feedback is, you know, I'm sorry, but we've decided to go with someone else. I've been at companies that give extremely detailed feedback. Um, I think, you know, I haven't found the balance yet, but I lean more toward giving some written feedback that can someone, because I think that way they can read it multiple times or really digest it, uh, but not having much of a discussion. Right? I think yeah. it's, you know, let's tell them what we can say, let's give a fair answer and a clear answer, but let's not invite that argument. Yeah, but you do at least close them. Yeah. So I think there's this thing that there's a lot of companies out there that just don't give that closure and humans want to know, I'm going ahead or I'm not going ahead. You know, it's, it's yeah, that's when I find it tough as well. But I, I get what you're saying. I haven't had too many people argue with me, but it's very awkward when they do. But it does, of course, reinforce you to the right thing. <laughs> yeah, and I agree <laughs> with you. Though. them. Yeah, the, the worst thing you can do is just say nothing. You know, I've had the experience mm. as well, even recently, uh, interviewing for a CTO role. And you know, you have a lot of positive interviews. You talk, and and then you say, "Hey, you know, do you have a status update or some feedback for me?" Um, and you might hear, "Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll be getting back to you soon." And then no follow up at all. It's very strange mm. to me. And and because uh, yeah. I think you, you've made some kind of decision, right? So <laughs> you might as well at least communicate. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah it, it's just it's just common courtesy as well, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, totally. really. Yeah. So the reason I created the hiring partner perspective was I have seen a lot of recruiters not partner properly with hiring leaders and vice versa. And so I thought, okay, I want to interview people who recruit like yourself. Obviously, because you've been referred to me, because only people that partner properly with recruiters have been referred to me, (laughs) which is great. But why do you make that effort? How has it been a benefit to you to whether it's an external recruiter or an in-house recruiter, why do you give them your time? Why do you partner with them, quite simply? Uh, I think in my experience, it's essential for success, especially with technical recruiting. You know, there are so many ambiguities possible in the recruiting process, even when you get down to simple things like, what does the word senior mean? You know, it, yes. it might mean something specific at my organization, and if I tell you as a recruiter, uh, I just need some senior candidates and I don't define it for you, then you know, I, I, it's a high risk, I won't get what I'm looking for. So for me, that it, it really works best as a partnership if we sit down, not only discuss you know, the, the terms, but how we define them, what we're really looking for, and the strategy we're going to use to screen the candidates so that you can properly inform them. Um, I just All of it, it, it just has never been successful for me when I've tried, agent, even agencies that say, oh no, we, we do testing, we do everything, just give mm. us your requirements and we'll bring six candidates in and, and you can interview them. And um, you know, it's, it's, it's often they're just all over the map. Yeah. Um, it's such a shame this is a podcast because I'm currently doing horror face, aren't I? <laughs> no, I mean, and, and I, I imagine you've experienced some of this crazy stuff too. Yeah. I mean, just being held at arm's length. Actually, the, I used to recruit for the IT department in Colt Telecom. And I used to go and walk the floors and sit in on interviews and, you know, properly, I was like completely involved. And then um, they brought in an RPO solution and I was suddenly like one of five and I was outside and it was all crazy. Um, the only time today that I'm busy is this podcast. So, of course, there's someone cleaning the windows of course. from nowhere. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I should warn you, I actually live next to a hospital, so it's entirely oh, possible we'll get some ambulances screaming by. <laughs> I, I love this working from home stuff. Yeah. So, for I feel like there's recruiters out there that are quite terrified of anyone that works in tech, which I think is ridiculous. But have you got any like 
top two, I assume you don't expect them to understand the technology, but what would you like them to come to you with? Like what sort of knowledge would you expect them to have? Obviously they can't code. Right, and I, and I don't think it's necessary. I mean, I, I've met recruiters that can code, but they're all former engineers who got sick of coding. So, you know, it's a, it's a, I think from that standpoint, it does give them a leg up if they can talk yeah. with the candidates. But at the same time, I, I don't think it's required. I think really, again, focusing on what are our needs? How do we define these things? What are key questions you can ask to find the right kind of person? Um, I, I think for me, I really expect a recruiter to bring a large network the ability to source a lot of diverse and a big variety of candidates, mm. uh, and and I think the energy to drive the process. That's something that I really count on. So I'm happy to be an active participant and a partner, but yep. I don't have necessarily the time or focus to drive the process. Okay, so by that you mean keep in touch with you, keep reminding you that like, I need feedback on this and push the interviews through, that sort of thing? Yeah, push the interviews through, um, you know, b- bring... So, for example, we'll, we'll agree how we'll work together. And part of that might be that uh, the initial round is just sending me a list of people and I can go through and look for good ones. And, um, and I like it when, as we've been working together over time, even mm-hmm. if I'm kind of deciding on that list, that you're putting your impressions and thoughts and that way we come to agreement. So over time, you should be able to get pr- better at predicting what I'm going to pick. Um, yeah. And in the best cases, you know, you, your, your picks are just as good. Um, and then, you know, how does the process proceed? If it's going to be a quick uh, coffee with uh, one of the lead engineers first before we get into some hardcore testing, whatever we've agreed upon. Yeah. Um, for me, it, it, I've found it works best for me just to have the, the recruiters, that point of contact and kind of driving that scheduling and, and so forth. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I like the fact that it sounds like you form long-term relationships. I try to. I think that yeah. works best. Yeah. It sounds really sensible. I think, yeah, loads of people listening to this are going to find it quite refreshing. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to me. I, I think in any profession that's this widespread, you have uh, all different ways of approaching it. Mm. Um, but I just can't imagine you know, keeping your recruiter at arm's length unless you're so busy, you, you just don't have time to properly invest in your process. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think then you'll probably get the results you, know, you could expect from under-investing. Well, yeah, because they think extra hour up front it's going to save you like 20, 30, 40 hours down the line interviewing people that aren't right for you. Not just that, but you know, if you hire the wrong candidate, I calculated at my last company, we were spending about 40,000 euros to turn over one person in the engineering team. So to replace someone <laughs> uh, between recruiting costs, between onboarding, training, getting them up to speed and, and productive, yeah, it's about a 40,000 euro investment. Wow. So there's... A really strong reason for any hiring leader to partner properly with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's just sen- sensible. It saves money. It saves time. Yeah, crazy. Um, I keep staring at your t-shirt again. This is only recording audio, but the joy of Zencast is showing video. What's the take the sh out of IT oh. or not? <laughs> so, <the> sh- <laughs> it's uh, well, it says taking the sh out of IT. <gasps> okay. Which uh, you can kind of do the math, but it's a, it's an old joke T-shirt from a, a disability company. Ah. I won't I won't give their name because they don't get a free commercial, but uh, they, <laughs> they're known for making humorous shirts. So, oh, I love that. Okay, I have now got it. It took a moment. Sorry, slow. Uh, well, <laughs> I think I'm distracted by the man washing my windows from nowhere. That's never happened before in like 16 years of living here. It's all wow. good fun. Yeah, I know. I know. Um. Do you think that recruiters should specialize then if they're going to go into IT recruitment? Because I guess the startup world is quite different from the corporate world as far as the people. It is. Do you ever recruit from corporate or? 
Uh, I do, but it's that that for me, uh, there's a kind of extra set of questions that we put in to find out whether it makes sense. Um, I think the challenges are, they are very different environments and you do need a kind of a different personality. So in large corporations, a lot of times, at least in my experience, they're just saying, I need a specific skill set. Uh, I might even prefer a fresh graduate because we have our own internal training that we put them through. Uh, and you know, it's really about somebody who wants to focus, get work done, and isn't too um, you know, concerned about broadening their role, for example. Yeah. You know, so I find that there, you know, there's people that have a passion for technology that want to touch all aspects for it. And that's great. I love it. And there's also people who, you know, it's a job. I'm going to come in, I'm going to work hard, I'm going to go home and not think about it. And I think the second kind works better in the large corporate world where tasks are more clearly delineated, team responsibilities are more clearly delineate, mm. delineated, and there tends to be a lot more support in terms of, you know, here's the set of tools that are used. This is the one way we do it here at the company. This yeah. is, you know, all these decisions are made for you. So for a certain type of person, that's very attractive. And for another type of person, that's a big disincentive because they want more creative control. Uh, and so for those people who want more, you know, more hands-on, the ability to broaden their role, to explore different scopes, you know, that's what I'm looking for in a startup. But also, and most importantly, there needs to be a certain level of self-sufficiency. Because yeah. in a big corporation, you have a big support system. Again, you might have that in-house training. Um, and it, it's very likely at a startup that you hire someone in. And if they came from that big corporate environment, uh, sometimes they have expectations that don't align with the reality of the, the workday. It could be something as simple as, uh, I need a faster laptop. And in my previous company, all I did was ask. And you know, if uh, <laughs> it was within a year, they would give me the new one. You know, something like that. Or um, you know, I don't know, somebody uh, is looking for, where, where's the nearest printer? Oh, we don't have those. You know, <laughs> it could be whatever. We're a um, startup. <laughs> yeah, and, and so that self-sufficient person who can kind of work through those you know, minor obstacles uh, and doesn't mind you know, having to, to, to be that way is, is the kind of candidate I'm looking for in a startup. So I'm going to throw this back at you. Of course, you expect this by now, right? How do you interview for self-sufficiency? I think it's just a question of asking. Uh, so I have a few questions. I, like, to be successful, what do you need from us as a company? Okay. Right, so okay. I want to hear what their thoughts are, what their expectations are. Um, you know, I might ask around tooling decisions. Do you find it easier to be handed a set of tools or to have to be the one that designs the set of tools? You know, just just yeah. different kinds of questions like this to get at you know where where their thinking is. Um, you know, when you're given a very specific task without context in the larger code base, uh, but it's a clear bug to fix, do you find you can find energy in that, or is that something you find uh, you know uh, unappealing? Yeah, oh, they're great questions, and they're very open, aren't they? So people are. I had to think. I was immediately off thinking of an answer, and I'm not even interviewing for you, right? <laughs> I know. I'm like, what do I need? I need to work from home and have no boss. Um, <laughs> sure helps. So have you got any, uh, I know we've covered loads, but any more tips that we might, mightn't have, you know, you, you really want to share with other hiring managers out there that just, if anything you thought of before we came on, you think I haven't shared. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we did talk on it, but I think the most important thing I would love to see yeah. all, all tech hiring managers really emphasize is that consistency of process. You know, we have yeah. an industry where we're trying to promote diversity and mm -hmm. taking a really unorganized approach to recruiting, I think is just naturally doesn't support diversity because, yeah. uh, you know, um, 
whatever questions I might ask, my colleague who does the next interview might have a totally different idea of what is important. And so not synchronizing and organizing and, and really uh, making a reproducible process, I think, is, is hurts this effort. And I don't mm. think it's hard to do. I actually think it's easy to prioritize, spend a few hours, uh, and you'll really benefit from it because that exercise as well of you know, defining what is junior, what is meteor, what is senior, that yeah. will also benefit you internally as you look at career progressions and you grow the people that you have already. Yeah. So you've mentioned diversity a couple of times, actually. Did you come to that from, oh, wow, I've realized like we're not performing or it was just, wow, I looked at my team and it is diverse and therefore it is or like what's led you? Because obviously it's very, I'm going to, this sounds horrible, but it's almost in vogue at the moment. Everyone's talking about it, which they damn well should be. But what led you to that realization? Yeah, I mean, for me, it was honestly really practical. At first, I'm trying to hire the right people. And for me, the right people are the people who can do the job. Yeah. Just to be clear, right? Whatever yeah, whatever absolutely. that means. Um, <laughs> uh, and many times I have an avalanche, if I'm at a company with a well-known name, then I have mm-hmm. an avalanche of applications and candidates to sort through. Um, but most of them are, are just interested in the company name and don't necessarily have the skills or the experience level that I'm looking for. So I just want to reach the broadest group of candidates I can. And when there are people that are underrepresented, I don't know the solution of why that is, but I can mm. guess that you know part of it is that they don't feel welcomed by the recruiting process or you know anything like this. So by bringing a process based in integrity, that's something minimal I feel I can do to kind of smooth that out and make it fair for everyone. Um, but I think it's it's also you know it's a weird thing. Like I, I had the privilege of working with an engineering team that was forty percent women, and that's yeah. incredibly incredibly rare. Yeah. And I wanted to understand how did this happen, right? Like, not like it was mm-hmm. an accident. I mean, these were uh, great, great engineers, but why, right? Like, why, why is it working yeah. out this way when you have a company like Google or Facebook that pours millions into a diversity program and doesn't have much to show for it? You know, so I actually sat down and, and did one-on-one interviews with all of these women to understand you know, what is it about this engineering environment and this engineering team that you think makes it appealing for women. And the answers I got were, were sort of difficult to process and reproduce in the sense that a lot of it was when I came to interview here, I saw there was already a lot of women. Uh, so I knew yeah. that that would make me comfortable. Okay, cool. Yep. Or, you know, I saw that the, you know, one of the managers doing the hiring was a woman. And, and so I'd like to have a role model there. Um, and, you know, fundamentally, I think it comes down to a couple things. For me, it's, it's number one is the no asshole rule. Yeah. So no matter who you are or, or what your disposition or makeup is, you can't be an asshole. Yeah, um, and I've worked at places where there's someone who is so brilliant and so good at what they do that people just kind of put up with them being a <laughs> jerk all the time. Yeah, um, and there's just no room for that, you know. So yeah, that, that's a big part of it. Um, and yeah, I guess you know, and ma- that would attract more women, like not having assholes. Yeah, and I think it also attracts good people of all sorts that mm. you know want to collaborate and work well. Um, I don't mm. think men particularly are fond of being treated uh, by assholes either. But you know, <laughs> I, I, it's it's definitely the case. I think if you make it clear that there is no tolerance for the kind of behavior mm. that many people would find inappropriate in an office, um, yep. even though we're at a startup and we're wearing t-shirts and you know we have beers at five o'clock and we want to have a good time, but we we still have to have a ground rule uh, for that. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say I'm motivated to pursue diversity in the sense that mm. just as an end goal itself. 
Uh, For me, it's really about, well, I'm a big believer in fairness in general, and I think everyone deserves a fair opportunity. Consider myself a humanist, and just from all Mm -hmm. of that, um, and if there's you know, talent out there that's not getting picked up. I want it. It's simple. Yeah. You know, in some ways, totally. it's very self-serving. <laughs> Absolutely. So, and that's how this business will succeed. So it's almost a catch-22, isn't it? So they they were excited about the fact there were women there already in the engineering department. Right. If you haven't got any, it's like chicken and egg, isn't it? It's a bit of a... Yeah, but, it's, it is a bootstrapping problem for sure. Yeah. But I think if you've got a couple, just start by pushing them forward, getting their voice heard. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, and when we do, you know, recruiting events where it's the kind of thing where they have like this recruiting speed dating, uh, and you have a table and candidates mm-hmm. coming by, you know, of course you always want to send people that show that you have a, a diverse group, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think some of that as well. I mean, we talk about this a lot in recruitment. It's you know, men will apply whether they have all the skills or not, and women won't. And that's another really good reason for recruiters and hiring managers to partner properly to go. Okay, you might want those ten must-haves, but actually, you only need three. So. You know, sure. you will actually get more women apply naturally if you take a lot off the table. So, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious your opinion, uh, if you don't mind yeah, me asking you a question. But, you know, I've seen some events where, you know, as a strategy, we say, okay, um, to make this environment more appealing to women, there need to be women here. So, we're going to, so for example, one company I worked with, we partnered with an outside firm where mm-hmm. they would recruit a group of 20 people. They would put them through some kind of aptitude screening. And then those that qualified, the 20, 20 that qualified would be trained on our specific technology stack. Okay. We, we would then be able to pick the top four from the group uh, and offer them positions, uh, although we would pay for the training for all 20. So those okay. that wouldn't get selected would still get the training. Um, and we made a decision to say, well, let's actually restrict it and just have women so mm-hmm. that we can increase the number of women on the team. And I'm curious what you think about efforts like that, because I have had some pushback from people saying, well, this is you know unfair to other people seeking roles or, or what have you. Yeah, and that's the trouble. It's, it, of course, I think it's an absolutely brilliant idea. However, I can also hear a lot of men going, oh, well, that's not fair. You know, we're the right people for the role. And that's the trouble. You end up offending. And unfortunately, at the moment, it's not a great thing to be a white middle-aged man. Um, right. <laughs> it's like the whole demographic. It's just everyone seems to be picking on at the moment as we're trying to even everything out. Um, so I love the idea. However, I see that there is a drawback in actually maybe that perfect person that you need is that white middle-aged man. You know what I mean? It's it's sure. It's a it's a toughie. And I think there are other things that you can do to attract women. Um, which is, it's hard for me as well because I've worked in male-dominated environments and never been bothered by it. But there's a lot of women that are. So whether it's, again, showing your women, showing that you're very open and inclusive. um, I don't know. I don't know. You've put me on the spot, haven't you? Sorry. (laughs) I'm meant to be interviewing (laughs) you. (laughs) No, it's great. But it's it's tough. It's really tough because it does feel like sometimes you're ruling people out when you're trying to rule people in. Yeah, I, I've had a candidate or a friend that suggested a different approach to candidates, which is basically cast a wide net, but then put some kind of diversity score on each CV and mm-hmm. then sort them in that order so that you give everyone the same exact opportunity, interview, and process, but you just start with the candidates that are at least represented on your team. Uh, and that way, if you find a qualified yeah. candidate, well, then, then you've got them. And if not, you just keep going through your list until you do. That you, sounds like an excellent idea. Doesn't it? I mean, it sounds, yeah. yeah. I was going to say it's still a little bit unfair, but 
But they, they, I'm sure that some people from certain diversities would be saying, well, you know, it's about time we got some representation. <laughs> yeah, so, I agree. Yeah, totally. Oh, this was amazing. Thank you so much, uh, particularly as you put up with my window washing. <laughs> I know. It's like, where did that come from? The last time they did it, they actually flooded. It came in the window. So I was waiting for that too. Yeah. I I did remember in the middle, there was the second time this happened. Anyway, um, if people would like to get in contact with you, what's the easiest? Is it LinkedIn or? Uh, LinkedIn works. Just just under my name, Joshua Hoffman. Uh, I'm Oshu on Twitter. So that's at O-S-H-U. That's uh, another easy way to reach me. Absolutely. Well, thank you again so much for your time. Totally appreciated it. Pearls and pearls of wisdom in there, including your shirt, including your shirt, (laughs) which I now get. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hiring Partner Perspective Unedited Podcast, proudly supported by the people at WorkDrive. Hopefully you really enjoyed what you heard and have left feeling inspired. And if so, I would love your help to create real change. Please pass this podcast on to your hiring leaders and other recruiters and HR. Even share it on your social channels if you feel so inclined. But the more reach we can get, the more change we can create. So please remember to subscribe, of course, on your favorite podcast platform. And do come and say hello at Hiring Partner Perspective on Instagram, where I share behind the scenes of what's going on. Until next time. Thank you. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.